Welcome to I Love Edmonton Real Estate. My name is Jason Scott, and my guest today is Travis Ball from Schmidt Realty Group. Welcome to the show, Travis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Travis, on the show, we always talk to uh, realtors and other uh, real estate experts about what's going on in the local real estate market. It's always evolving and changing. But let's start with a little bit of background. How long have you been a realtor for? I started thinking about real estate in about 2008, Mm -hmm. and I started thinking about it more seriously in 2009, and I was licensed early 2010. Okay. And what prompted you to get into real estate? My former career didn't allow me to help very many people. And so I wanted something where I would be useful and I could help people uh, doing things. I had recently just bought a house myself and I bought from a builder and discovered that I made a lot of mistakes and there wasn't anybody to to blame but myself. And so as much as I didn't admit them outwardly, I, uh, I thought, geez, it would have been nice if I'd had some help. Right. What sort of mistakes did you make? I didn't read the contract very well. I, uh, foolishly believed that uh, when they said I'd be in my house in eight months that they actually meant it. Turns out I was in five months later. I got a penalty for trying to get a better mortgage because my paperwork ended up being 10 days late. I got a penalty of $15,000. Whoa. In 2005, the builder could do what they wanted. The price of my lot had gone up about $100,000 since I signed. So he was really hoping I would walk away from the deal. So he wasn't... uh, really useful. And in fact, on my walkthrough, I'll never forget this. I was pointing out errors in my house and he said, quote, you're lucky to be getting it this good. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Is this builder still in business? I hope not. Wow. Wow. I try not to hold a grudge. Yeah. But it was an interesting experience. Then I found out that while I was looking for a new career where I could be helpful and stuff, I, uh, I did some interviews of people. I would stop people on the street that looked like they were particularly happy. And I asked them, what do you do? And a lot of people looked at me very strangely and walked away. But some people agreed to talk to me. And so I, I interviewed them and asked them what they liked best about their job and how they got into it. And one day I was out with my friend Craig. We were on our motorcycles. And I said, what do you do where we can be out on our motorcycles at, you know, Tuesday afternoon at 2? And he said, I'm in real estate. I said, oh, so you're an investor or something? He said, no, no, I'm a realtor. And I said, oh, come on. Realtors are all slimy He's like, no, no, I'm in real estate. Like, you haven't tried to sell me a house. You haven't tried to make me buy a house. You know I'm interested in investments. You haven't pushed your services on me once. He said, well, we do things differently at Schmidt. And that opened my eyes. You know, I interviewed different people at the brokerage, and they they just, they're real people. They're genuine people who like to help people. I could, I could help people here. And as I've gotten into it, of course, my opinion of the industry has changed a lot. Uh, we're not all slimy bastards. We're, there's a whole bunch of professionals that work really hard to help help their clients and make sure that their clients are happy and protected. And I mean, it was a really eye-opening experience. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I could really do some good. And after I closed my first deal mm-hmm. with a young couple, uh, relatively new to Canada, who uh, we had a little difficulty communicating. She spoke Japanese and he spoke Cantonese, and they both spoke a little English and I spoke no Japanese or Cantonese, but we managed to, uh, through an interpreter, uh, find them a house that they just love, and they, they call me every year really? and tell me how much they love their house. So That's awesome. That's when I knew I could be useful and helpful to people. Cool. And get paid at it. <laughs> and get paid at it. I mean, it's, uh, it's nice that there's a check coming, but uh, yeah. the focus is always uh, on giving the keys. That's my favorite day. Right. 
What uh, what sort of response do you get from clients when you, you hand off the keys, especially if they're first-time buyers? Well, Schmidt's like a big family. We're, we do business very, very well, but we really take a genuine interest in our clients. It's not uh, a matter of breaking people down to a dollar per hour. Um, some clients take it. I think my record is four hours, and my other one is still ongoing at three years, where we just haven't found the right house for them yet. My favorite part is is focusing on what they want, the whys behind it, and uh, and again, key days. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. we get uh, the responses we get vary. I have clients whose uh, children fell in love with me, and I get invited to children's birthday parties, <laughs> which is a little weird because I don't have kids, but. They just welcome me in as part of the family. I've been invited to Christmas dinners. We get big hugs. We do a thing at Schmidt where we call it Pie Day, mm-hmm. where we shut down business for an entire day. We open our parking lot in front of our office. We have a barbecue. Uh, we've had clowns and balloon people. Uh, we have a photo booth there, and we give away homemade pies. We do no business. We invite all of our clients, and we give out about 200 or 250 pies in that day. And we're just all there hanging out, and it's a great time to reconnect. And so they're always happy to come by and show us the newest addition to their family because quite often that's why we bought a house. Yeah. And uh, it's great to know that they, they think enough of you to introduce you to their child, tell you what they've done to the house. Yes, we finally took, took that hardwood out and put in blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So we get a really great response out of that. And it, we do it every year and we all block it off in our calendars and it's, it's an awesome day. Cool. What did you do prior to being in real estate? I used to have uh, a hotshot company, which is kind of a trucking company. Mm-hmm. It's uh, not what I was trained in. When I moved to Alberta in 2000, I was a computer geek. Mm-hmm. I have uh, several obsolete computer degrees. <laughs> uh, I didn't know they went out of, they expired quite so quickly. Mm-hmm. But um, I moved out here and I, I learned to drive a tractor trailer and then I, I started a small company taking stuff up to Fort McMurray and whatnot. And I got to the point where I needed to replace all of my large equipment and I realized that trucking was an industry that wasn't going to evolve and the people that ran things still wanted to squeeze every dollar out and and so I wasn't going to be able to compete with massive fleets Mm -hmm. and so I needed to find something else. I needed to find something else where the motivation was more than a paycheck. Right. I like helping people. I like being the guy that knows somebody. You need a plumber? I know a plumber. You need a guy to fix your car? I know a guy to fix your car. I like being that guy, and in real estate, I get to I get to do that. Cool. Have you uh, earned any awards or recognitions yet in your career? Yes and no. At Schmidt, we don't have a top five percent award. Um, we are a locally owned brokerage, and we work as a team. And so, on a on a weekly basis, we celebrate each other's joys and victories and those sorts of things. There have been times in the office when I've been the top seller for the month, top lister for the month. But it's not something that I would, it's just not something that's important to us Mm -hmm. uh, so much. Are there any areas that you specialize in? So either geographic areas or client? The nice thing about Edmonton is, you know, as much as, so much as neighborhood specific, it's very easy to focus your search on certain areas. And uh, we keep very good statistical data on a lot of them and because I have a natural love for real estate and what makes neighborhoods, I spend a lot of time, uh, whether it's uh, walking with my wife or out with friends when they're walking their dogs or whatever, or out on my motorcycle. I go through different neighborhoods and see what makes good neighborhoods. And then, of course, you see 
this house is for sale, that house is for sale. And so you go home and you take a close look at it. So do I focus on a very specific part of Edmonton? Not so much. I focus on the areas that my clients need me to, to be up on. As for type of market, there's a couple of things I focus on. I like to help people own property. And by that I mean turn it into an investment if they can. Um, I find a lot of people go and spend their money on a brand new house because Bill and Jane just bought a brand new house without any forethought to how it fits in their life. We live in a society where pe most people want new cars, new clothes, new houses. But sometimes an older house fits their life better. And so during the the initial interview where we talk about how I work and what they expect and the things they're looking for, we often find that a beautiful house in Hazeldine would be really what they want because the kids want to go to that school or there's the River Valley, or not the River Valley, the uh, Mill Creek Ravine is nearby and that's where they like to walk the dog. Mm -hmm. And so some, it's just nice to, to help people find something that's truly going to fit them. Right. Do you... When you talk to people and they say, hey, we want to buy a new house, what do you think it is that's driving that? It's New houses are pretty. They're very pretty. And there's a, there seems to be a belief that they are built better than old houses. And in some cases, they absolutely are. They're, there's uh, the thought that if you buy something brand new, like a car, you'll have no problem with it. Whereas if you buy a used car, often... There's an oil leak or the brakes need to be done. You buy an old house, well, you probably need to update the kitchen. Maybe the bathroom's dated. But in a lot of cases, you know, they're good solid bones. Mm -hmm. But not everybody knows that. Not everybody has the network to help them with that. Right. When, when someone's buying a new house, quite often they'll walk into the showroom or show house etc and uh, they start negotiating with the salesperson there and it's a done deal knowing what you know based on your personal experience where do you th where do you see realtors fitting in on a new home purchase well right now most reputable home builders are very happy to work with realtors the issue arises mostly in the individual salespeople as they are often commission-based as well and their concern is that working with us, they, they often have to split the commission because, of course, that's how we get paid. I find there's not a lot of negotiation on a, on a new build. The builder has a, a price point. But often the negotiation doesn't come so much with price but with add-ons. They're quite happy to give you things, granites, hardwoods, those sorts of things, mm -hmm. um, because they want you to be happy. They, they want you to... To do it but they have their numbers all crunched out but I find that right now they're working with realtors quite well because you know they know that we bring usually pre-qualified people through the door mm -hmm. and uh, so long as there's a, a good person at the desk uh, running the sales department usually it's not an issue if they're listed because sometimes the show homes are listed then of course we get to deal with another realtor so it's professional to, to professional you know, Jamin does a really good job of that. Um, there's a couple of other builders that do a good job of hiring professionals to represent them, which is nice because then you know we're all represented by the same governing bodies, and so we have the same rules that we have to adhere to. Right. Okay. What are some of the pitfalls that people looking at buying a new home should be aware of? Landscaping is more expensive than you think it is. Okay. Give me an example of that. Well, we don't think of dirt and grass as particularly expensive, but 
it can be. And if you can't do the work yourself, there, there are issues. You know, landscaping has to be done a certain way in, in neighborhoods. There are architectural guidelines. One of the things I found out was that uh, if you don't do your landscaping just right, they don't have to refund your money, but on top of that, they can fine you. They don't very often, and it takes a long time for this process to happen, but they can fine you. They being the city? The city. Okay. If you don't get your final grade certificate. And apparently, it can. I was told, it goes on your license. And so your fines go on your license when you go to renew your license. You can't. Vehicle license. Yeah. Really? Huh. Yeah. I didn't know they could do that. So that was interesting. That's something that's not told to most people up front. Right. Now that doesn't happen in three months or anything like that. It's yeah. like multiple years. Probably. Multiple years usually. And so long as you look like you're doing something there, they're pretty easy on you. Right. The city's not out to, to get anybody, but right. But they want things done a certain way so we're not pouring water into our neighbors' basements and or or our own. Right. That sort of thing. Other pitfalls like what happened to me, possession day isn't necessarily possession day. Uh, most builders are very good now about giving um, a broad guideline, but they tell you not to make any plans until you get your 35-day letter, right. which is the actual date you're going to move in on. So that's a lot better communication than, than some used to have. Right. Okay. Should, if someone's buying a new house, should they get a home inspection done? I would think so. In fact, I would probably suggest they get two home inspections done. Why two? Well, because you get a, a pre-occupancy walkthrough. And that would be a good time to identify anything larger. But uh, sometimes things fail. Sometimes furnaces, I mean, we just expect them to work. No one goes and checks their furnace on a monthly basis. Other than, you know, my grandfather used to. (laughs) He was pretty good about that, but I don't. Some things can change, and they would point out things a little more diligently, I think, than we would. Things like uh, drywall screw pops are very, very common. The tape used to make corners because the humidity in the house changes over over time. The wood that houses are built out of is quite green because all the lumber is pretty green, so it shrinks a little bit when it dries. Everybody thinks a house is a house and it should be exactly the same way for the end of time, but I often tell my clients that houses are kind of living, breathing things. As we live in them, they change based on how we live in them, the humidity levels and the number of showers and how much cooking is done. And Because wood is was a living, breathing thing, so it expands. Drywall absorbs moisture. As you put these things together and temperature outside, and mm-hmm. it can change things a little bit, and those little bits can cause issues. So having the second home inspection before the end of your one-year uh, builder's warranty can just make sure that the builder has a full list of things to, to repair. Okay, so you would do one in your pre-occupancy, and then you'd be in the house for like six months or so and do a second one? Uh, six or eight months, yeah. You know, once you started to notice that some things were starting to shift in the house, and definitely before that, that one year up. The one prior is usually a peace of mind thing. Mm-hmm. If you notice something that you didn't particularly like, but didn't have a, a professional opinion on why it should be changed. Right. There have been some places where interior walls, especially non-structural walls in, in basements, often get uh, 24-inch centers, and people prefer 16-inch centers. I'm told building code is 16-inch centers. So it's nice to just have some professional say that. The builders will normally fix it. for. It's, it's usually an oversight. Right. So it's just nice to have someone else who knows those things to point out. Right. Okay. So 
You touched on this a little earlier, I think, with your first client story, but when did you know that real estate was really the right career for you? Well, my first clients were, were very, very grateful. And in fact, they wrote me a letter, a thank you letter in, in very proper English. And I carry it around in my notebook to this day because you don't always get the listing and you don't always get the client. And sometimes you feel that maybe you just weren't, you know, batting a thousand that day. And it's nice to take that out and, and read it and remember that somebody thought you were pretty good once. So I, I thought that was a, a really good Kickstarter for, for my career. Since then, uh, my next probably three clients were, they required a lot of effort. Uh, the deals were a little bit difficult. We went through some bumps along the way. It wasn't, they weren't simple transactions. And each one of those people has since become a friend. And a, not only a friend, but an ambassador for my business, um, for our business at Schmidt. They loved how our team uh, worked so well together. Once I settled in at Schmidt and you, I don't want to say become part of the family, but you kind of do. You become an integral cog in the, in the wheel, if you will, or in the gears. And it just, it settles in and it just feels right. Going to work is not a chore. <laughs> Helping people or answering the phone is not a chore. I think it will be a fit as long as I can continue helping people. It's my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. What's the most frustrating experience you had as a realtor? I've had several. <laughs> haven't, <laughs> haven't we all? <laughs> um, I find it frustrating when dealing with usually new clients who have uh, champagne tastes on a beer budget uh -huh. and believe that somehow they deserve the million-dollar mansion on the $300,000 budget that they that they have. I find it frustrating that I have to teach people that should be adults. That they At this point, they don't always get what they, they want in life. They can work towards it, but this might not be that purchase. So I find that frustrating because, of course, I was raised differently. I find it frustrating when realtors are not as professional as they should be. Don't get me wrong, most of us are very professional. At Schmidt, we have an entire training program for everybody. We all work hard to exceed the rules. We use the rules as the minimum. We use the laws as the minimum, not the maximum. And so when people are a little lackadaisical about some of those things, it, uh, I find that frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a perfectionist when it comes to contracts, clauses, wording, and I wish the rest of us were. Right. <laughs> um, it's just different business styles and it, it doesn't mean that they're wrong it's just different for me and it's tough to communicate that way the other thing that frustrates me are lending institutions who don't understand how real estate works you're a mortgage broker you understand deadlines are important when your clients call you answer the phone I find periodically there are bankers that don't check their messages other than once a day. They'll never call a realtor back. And at the 11th hour, they'll always say to their clients, I just get an extension. Right. Even though you've told them there are no extensions, there is a backup offer, they don't care. And they just, they seem to hook their clients based on the fact their clients chose to bank there for a period of time and then don't offer the service that a professional like yourself would. They don't seem to take it as seriously. Right. And there's nothing that, their, our clients can then do 
about it. Yeah, well, I think part of that comes to the motivation level, right? I mean, you're comparing an employee who's going to get paid either way versus someone who's self-employed, and obviously they're very much driven by making sure they can eat next week, right? <laughs> there is something to that. There is something to that. So, Can you give me a uh, kind of like a tale from the trench? What was like sort of the one of the biggest obstacles or, or issues you've run into and how do you work to resolve the problem? I'm not sure I have any battle stories. We do we do our best to, to help our clients and because at Schmidt we work as a team quite often if I haven't experienced it, there's someone in my office that has and vice versa of course. We have, um, because ultimately the broker is responsible for every contract that goes through the brokerage, we have unlimited access to our broker. So when something gets a little tight, a little squirrely, um, or seems to be going off the rails, I can call Kathy at any time and she'll say, you know what, we've talked to a lawyer about this and this is really the way you need to go. We try and keep our panic level to a minimum. There are any number of things that can go wrong in a deal. You know, in a state sale, maybe probate's not done or maybe one of the kids has decided they want the house at the last minute. Once in a while you encounter people selling their their homes on their own and they don't understand the rules they don't necessarily understand the contracts they've signed or don't want to right you know so in the middle of a deal something can go sideways most of the time you know if you're honest and you're working for your clients and you're doing keeping your clients best interest at the forefront you can work through most things sellers want to sell and buyers want to buy and uh, usually with a couple level heads you can you can get through things it doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't have to escalate to yelling matches. And it's always our client's decision whether or not they're going to buy or sell. In the end, it's their money. My paycheck doesn't change enough to, for me to worry about a couple of dollars one way or another. It's always their money. Mm-hmm. It's always their house, their home, therefore their decision. It's our job to guide the process show them their options and help them think over their plan A, their plan B, and their plan C. We don't always get plan A. And right. I think so long as we have a plan B, the the big explosions, the big arguments, the the um, or the dashing of hopes, it isn't so bad if you've already talked about, we're going to do this, and if this, this doesn't work, we're going to do that, and if that doesn't work, we're going to do this. So long as they're happy with that, it doesn't feel like they've lost. Right because they're still getting what they want because these are options that they've chosen. Right. What is the best real estate advice you ever received? <laughs> buy real estate because they're not making more of it. I guess that's buy land. Uh, <laughs> I often tell people to, to buy as many houses as they can and they say, well, don't you mean buy and sell? I'm like, well, I would make more money if you sold them, but I think everybody should invest in real estate. It works okay for me. I like it. I think with uh, with good lenders, they can figure out a way to move their money and their down payments in a way to to help them have some real estate. It's not just for the wealthy. Mm-hmm. And I think in the states, the numbers may be different now, but something like seventy percent of landlords' average household income was about seventy thousand dollars. Those stats are a little bit old, but that means you know anybody can own a couple of houses and rent them out to people who can't buy. Mm-hmm thus helping more people, mm-hmm. giving quality living space, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Travis, if you look at your last 10 deals, so now we're, we're at the start of August 2016, 
So if you look at you know how your spring and and first month of the summer went, uh, what sort of trends are you seeing develop? Well, this year, despite what you see on the news or saw on the news, the news hasn't reported on the real estate market in the last little bit. We're not all in that much trouble here. Yes, we have some issues, and yes, Edmonton has some problems, but housing prices haven't plummeted 20%. Not everybody's losing their house. My year has been pretty good in that I work with good clients. They have a reasonable expectation of what they what they want. You know, there's, there's tons of statistics, but just for an example, the uh, median days on market in May of this year were 29. The median days in June were only 15. That's pretty quick sales, huh? That's pretty quick, because keep in mind that's list, negotiate, go through conditions, and remove conditions. That's when it's reported as, as a firm deal. So they've done all of that in 15 days in June. It's, that's pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I think that the serious buyers have decided that I'm not the only serious buyer out there, so I do have to stand up and say I want this house and be prepared to work towards putting a deal on it. Mm-hmm. I think they realize that there's not $100,000 deals on everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kept hearing <laughs> stories talking to real estate agents in the spring, early spring, that you know there were all these low-ball offers that clients wanted to make, and uh, you know sellers would laugh at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sellers weren't, weren't going to part with them. And some of the things that people don't understand is the Canadian real estate market is different than the U.S. real estate market. Mm-hmm. There are no short sales here. You can't ask the bank directly to take 10 cents on the dollar. They don't do it. Yeah, there were some silly offers in the spring. People realize that life moves and they need to be a certain place. And so to do that, they have to pay an extra $1,000 or they need to sell for $1,000 less than they wanted to and allow that life to to continue moving. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any trends in types of properties or price points lately? And you might know this better than I uh, on, on... what your approvals go out at. I find that the people shopping in the sub 400 uh, category for a single family home, they need to have their ducks in a row. Um, most of this year, any quality house under 400 disappeared in a hurry. Um, the things o- over five, when they ch- changed the mortgage rules, mm-hmm. they sat a little bit longer mm-hmm. because people all of a sudden were just shy of where they needed to be for their down payments. But by the same token, we just, uh, what was it, two months ago we had the, the biggest show home ever ever opened. Mm-hmm. It was twelve or 15,000 square feet for several million dollars. And they say, you know, Edmonton's got money and the people who have this kind of money will come forth and buy. For those of us in the real world, <laughs> that, that sub four, sub five, you know, when you have two professionals working together, it's pretty easy to, to put them into the just under 500,000. Yeah category as well. Are there any parts of the city that seem to be moving faster than others? Kind of depends on who your clientele are. A lot of people like the south side, it's got easy access to the airport, easy access to the Hyundai. A lot of the big box stores are down here. But now that they've developed, I believe it's called Manning Crossing, mm-hmm. way up on 153rd in Manning, that whole neighborhood has really exploded. They're building uh, pretty much right out to the Hyundai, all in that northern, northern part as well. I would assume in preparations for when the Redwater Upgrader Alley really kicks into high gear. Mm-hmm. I know when I had my trucking company, I lived in that section of town, and 
it was 12 minutes to Fort Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And it was 30 minutes to Shell Scotford. So yeah. it's a, if you work in anywhere near that area, it's convenient. Yeah. I was actually driving up around there where there's this new high-tech industrial park that's supposed to go in, and it's like 234th Avenue and 17th Street or something. I did not know that existed. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, once that takes off, that's going to be a huge industrial complex up there. Mm-hmm. And they'll need people for it. So people like to have a relatively short commute. So they're putting in good schools, I understand. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so they're making some really nice inroads into neighborhoods up there. Right. So if you were trying to get ahead of the curve, northeast might be the way to go rather than southwest. Yeah. Southwest, we're down at, what is it, 43rd? They just put that over pass. Mm-hmm. So 43rd southwest. Mm-hmm. I think you're only a couple hundred yards from the start of the runway at that point. <laughs> <laughs> hey. It might be a bit of an exaggeration, but it, it's right there. They've done some beautiful neighborhoods down there, but you're starting to get a long way away. Yeah. I have friends that live around Northgate, uh, so 97th and 137th, and in the summer they can actually bike downtown to their jobs in about 12 to 15 minutes. Wow. You know, whereas if you live down near Century Park, you can take the train, but if you're biking, it's still, it's a long way to get downtown. Mm -hmm. And if you lived in Windermere, that would be a really long ride downtown. Right, yeah, for sure. So, obviously you, you typically help people in Edmonton. If you had family or friends who were moving to another city in the country, how would you go about helping them find a good quality realtor? What, what should they be looking for in a realtor? Well, I would suggest that they interview more than one. I would suggest that they uh, ask them about their clientele and their policies for working with people. And I'd ask them to put what they say in writing. Um, there's a lot of people who will tell you what you want to hear in any walk of life. But when asked to put it in writing, it's, it's a lot more difficult for them to do that. That's probably the strongest thing. But I think if you interview them and uh, make sure they have a clear understanding of what you're looking for, and if you listen to them, because they will know the market, hopefully you can take what you want and what they have access to and come up with something that will, that will work. Is there any other thoughts or comments that you wanted to make? This process requires more than one or two people. It's important to have a team of, of people working for you, whether that's your parents lending you your down payment, their banker or a person who is looking after their money needs to be on board and understand what they're doing so that that can happen in a timely manner. The mortgage broker needs to understand what their goal is and give them realistic expectations. The realtor needs to understand again what their goal is and give them realistic expectations. Home inspectors, um, anybody who's going to be involved in it should be along for the entire process. The Monday morning quarterbacks aren't useful. You know, the uh, person who hasn't bought a house in 30 years, telling them that all of a sudden they overspent because in 1970 they bought a house for $50,000 or whatever. That's not useful. But if you go, if your entire team, your support group, those people who are going to be part of your decision or part of the, the circle praising or sometimes judging, they need to all be on board because it'll make your, your decision a lot easier and it'll make living there 
a lot easier once once you've done you'll, you'll really know you made the right decision right and during the actual transaction process obviously mm-hmm. you know there's multiple quote-unquote team players who each have a role to play to get you to the finish line of actually buying the house exactly you know a mortgage broker that answers the phone home inspector who does a very thorough job and gives a realistic report based on the condition of the home and but also does a good job of not scaring the clients you know I had a home inspector that said that because the basement was unfinished and by unfinished it was studded the wiring was in the insulation was in the vapor barrier was up and all the drywall was up but because the drywall wasn't mudded and taped he said the basement was unsafe seriously yep and what happened to that deal uh, that deal fell apart really that's unbelievable unfortunately I could not get the name of the uh, the home inspector from the other agent. Oh, you were on the listing side? Yes, I was on the listing side. And I thought, really? It's not unsafe. It's just unfinished. That's a difference. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's a perception. I don't know their, the legalities behind the home inspection industry, but I think that might have been overreaching. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow, that's interesting. So a good home inspector would say, obviously, this is unfinished, and this is what you need to do to finish it. Yeah. You know? It shouldn't have been a red flag. There are red flags that are out there that are important. Foundations, heat exchangers, you know, things that can cost money, things that can make a house hazardous, you know. I didn't think that was one of them. (laughs) No kidding. So good home inspector, good electricians, good plumbers, all those people, like you said, that need to touch the uh, transaction at some point before the finish line. Yeah. Cool. All right, Travis. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the show. I hope you continue to rock your uh, your year and finish off with a solid fall of 2016. I hope so, too. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And, uh, same to you. I look forward to doing business with you in the future. Sounds good.